I am always amazed at the resiliency of living things. My house sits on three acres that are mostly forest. I have very little grass to mow, which is a good thing. My job, though, is weed control. I buy gallons and gallons of Roundup to kill the weeds. If you're a weed lover, sorry. Every spring, I wage war on the weeds. But you see, that's the problem. Notice what I said. Every spring. You'd think at some point the war would be over. The weeds would lose. But not so. That bottle of Roundup says it kills the roots. Don't believe it. It's false advertising. The weeds in my yard keep coming back. It's the invasion of the little green things. It happens every spring. Roundup might stunt their progress, but it doesn't stop them. Those weeds still keep growing. It's hard to kill a weed. Even when you think it's been permanently nuked, life finds a way. The miracle of life keeps rising up, keeps pushing up. Green things like weeds and grass and trees and Christians are always growing. It's been said, how tall does a tree grow? And the answer, as tall as it can. All a tree knows to do is grow. Growth is its default mode. A tree properly planted will be progressing continually, as should all Christians. In Psalm 1, the biblical scribe compares every believer. In fact, he compares you and me to a tree. Let's read again our text. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Last time, we noted where this tree was positioned. It's planted by the rivers of water. And a wise woman, a wise man, plants their life, sinks their roots in a place that's conducive for them to grow. They position themselves by a stream of spiritual nourishment and refreshment. Healthy Christians are properly positioned. But they're also progressing continually. Inspect a tree's branches. You'll find shoots, roots, and shoots. Apparently, this tree planted by the river is strong and vibrant and resilient. It never wilts or withers. It's evergreen. It bears fruit seasonally. It grows constantly. This tree avoids periods of dormancy. It's alive year-round. The sap is always flowing. The tree is always growing. Its roots wiggle their way further into the soil. Its shoots are preparing to bud. Its limbs are often weighed down with delicious, juicy, tasty fruits. Even when the winds howl, even when they blow furiously, 
Even when the trunk of that tree begins to creak, even when the branches get weighed down with ice and snow, this tree continues to grow. And this is God's desire for you and for me. Not only that we're positioned properly, but that we're progressing continually. When we're converted to Christ, we become babes in the faith. Spiritual infants. But hey, we aren't expected to stay that way. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention pacifiers or teething toys or building blocks in heaven. No, somewhere between our coming to Christ and our going to heaven, we're supposed to grow up. I read of a youth group that had the following motto plastered across their wall in their, in their meeting room. It said, keep the faith baby not the baby faith. I like that message. It sounds like Ephesians 4 verse 13 in the Phillips translation it reads, We are not meant to remain as children, but to grow up in every way into Christ. My goal for everyone here at Calvary Chapel is to see you on a path of consistent spiritual growth. Last time we talked about being connected to fellow believers. We talked about interlocking our roots. That's what's going to keep us strong, and it is. But not only should we be connected, we also need to be perfected. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 tells us, Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Of course, that word perfected is a little scary, isn't it? It is for me. We think, oh, Pastor Sandy, please don't tell me God expects perfection. Please don't tell me that. I'm too flawed. I'm too foolish. There's no way I can be perfect. Hey, breathe easy, my friend. Take a chill pill. God knows this better than we do. He knows we can't be perfect. I love Psalm 103 verse 14. It says, God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As long as we occupy these fallen bodies, we're prone to sinful slip-ups. God knows that. Though the terms perfect and perfect have the same spelling, they have different definitions. None of us are or ever will be expected to be perfect. But God wants each of us involved in the process of being perfected. The word perfect means to complete or to finish. Hey, God hasn't started His work in you to let it go dormant. No, He wants to bring it to fruition. He wants you to mature and be the person that He's called you to be. He wants you to grow into maturity and become useful for His kingdom. You know, as a father, just siring my kids wasn't the end of my job. You know, when we brought those babies home from the hospital, I was just getting started. I knew my kids would never be perfect. After all, look at their dad. As, my, as a matter of fact, my goal was if my kids turned out bad, it was going to be because they spent too much time with their dad. That's funny. You just got to think about it for a little bit. <laughs> but this is God's goal for you. Not perfection. But He wants to perfect you. He wants to bring you to a place of maturity. He wants to equip you. So that you can soar for Jesus' sake. He works in us to perfect 
what he started. It's been said, God judges a man not by the point he's reached, but by the way he's facing. Not by the distance, but by the direction. None of us will ever be perfect, but, we, but are we in the process of being perfected? Are we open to God? Are we eagerly learning to fly? Before Paul visited the Thessalonians, he explained the purpose of his coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he said it was to perfect what was lacking in their faith. Paul wanted to complete what God had started there. He wanted to round off their rough edges, fill in the missing spaces, help them fully fulfill what God intended them to be. And this is God's desire for you. It's been said, Christians should not only be counted, they should also be weighed. Indeed. In other words, we could pack the church with people, but in and of itself, that's no big deal. I mean, the ice capades attract a lot of people. The World Wrestling Federation can draw a crowd. I mean, even a new Walmart gets plenty of walk-ups. The purpose of our church, and for all churches for that matter, isn't just to attract walk-ups, it's to turn walk-ups into grown-ups. First connected, but then perfected in our faith. There's a National Geographic special that shows film footage of the Alaskan bull moose and the male sparring that goes on during the fall breeding season. The male bullwinkles, they butt heads with each other over and over and over, hoping to prove their dominance. They keep crashing antlers until one set weakens and then breaks. The moose with the heftiest body and the strongest antlers is the moose that prevails. But you see, the battle is not one in the fall. The battle is actually one in the spring and in the summer. For the heftiest body and the stoutest antlers belong to the moose that eats the healthiest diet. Preparation and growth in the spring and summer is what determines victory or defeat come the autumn. And the same is true for you and me. If you live the Christian life, you can be sure that battles will come. That's a given. But victory or defeat isn't determined in the moment of battle. See, it's being determined right now. If you're bullheaded and you're stubborn and you refuse to do those things necessary to grow, then don't be surprised in the fall that you get defeated. Spiritual strength and enduring faith are best developed before they're needed. Are you growing? Being perfected in your faith? Well, Psalm 1 provides us a diagram for spiritual growth. We're told, blessed is the man, or how supremely happy is the man, who according to verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, Note what it said of this blessed man. First, he delights. He chooses to take joy. Notice, that's intentional. His growth is intentional. Second, growth is behavioral. He delights in the law of the Lord. Third, his growth is devotional. He meditates. And then fourth, it's habitual. It's day and night. Day and night. If you're taking notes... 
spiritual growth, sprouting shoots, is intentional, it's behavioral, it's devotional, and it's habitual. First, realize that spiritual growth is intentional. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ begins with a decision. Realize no one grows spiritually by osmosis. You don't become spiritual just by hanging out with spiritual people. You don't develop a biblical mindset by just toting around a big Bible. And you certainly don't become more godly by merely surrounding yourself with the things of God. In Haggai chapter 2, the prophet asked the priests of Israel, If one carries holy meat in his pocket, and with the edge of his garment he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? According to the law of Moses, the answer was no. Holiness, godliness, spirituality is non-transferable. It's not contagious. You can't touch a holy thing and then become holy. But then Haggai asked, If one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? And the answer was, it will be unclean. In other words, sin is a communicable disease. Evil is contagious. It rubs off on the people you linger with. Sin is transferable, but not godliness. You don't become holy by touching someone or something that's holy. Spiritual growth is a personal decision. It's not something we stumble into. It's a choice that we make. Someone says of the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word delight means to take pleasure or to find joy. It's similar to the term rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord is to take my joy from God. Hey, there are all kinds of sources today from which you can draw joy. From the bottle to the Bible. From the TV to the bended knee. From the world's party to God's glory. Thus to delight is to decide. It's to choose to put all my eggs in one basket. It's to depend on Christ to fuel my happiness and shape my expectations. I'm making a commitment to be all that I can be in Jesus Christ. Once a teacher, she asked her kindergarten class, Boys and girls, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> One little boy said a fireman. Another little boy a doctor. Another a race car driver. And on and on it went. Well, the teacher noticed little Bobby, unusually quiet. She asked, Bobby, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, possible. The teacher didn't get it. She said, possible? What do you mean by possible? Bobby replied, well, my mom is always calling me impossible, so when I grow up, I want to be possible. <laughs> Well, it is possible that one day you can be great for God. Yes, even you. It's possible for you to grow into Christian maturity. You can build a triumphant faith. You can become a dynamic, effective witness for Jesus Christ. It's possible. You can grow up to be a possible but only if you choose
to grow and mature right now. In 1523, a British animal trainer, John Fitzherbert, made this statement. The dog must be trained when he is a whelp or a puppy, or else it will not be trained, for it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. Well, Fitz's quote morphed into the adage that we hear tossed around a lot today. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. But can you? I mean, is that old saying truth or is it myth? Well, enter the Discovery Channel's Mythbusters. <laughs> One episode tackled Fitzherbert's famous observation. A pair of aging Alaskan Malamutes were found, Bobo and Cece. They were seven years old. That's about 50 in dog years. Neither of the animals had ever been trained. And yet in four days, the Mythbusters trainer had taught the dogs to heal and sit and lie down and stay and shake their paw. Proving once and for all, you can teach old dogs new tricks. But if you've been reading your Bible, you knew that all along, didn't you? Change is possible. There is freedom from sin and addictive behavior. You can grow and live differently. You're not destined to be stuck in that rut forever. Spiritual growth is possible. But it's first intentional. As I asked earlier, how does a tree grow? Well, when you first hear that question, you're inclined to ask for more information. Hey, Sandy, what kind of tree? What kind of soil? What type of climate are we talking about? But there's just an easier, to answer, easier answer to how tall will a tree grow? As tall as it can. Everything in nature grows to its maximum potential. Trees, bushes, fruit, grass. Oh, wow, does grass grow, especially after all this rain. Life is relentless. But there is one exception. There's one living thing that may or may not grow to its potential. And that's people. For humans have to make a choice. And sadly, you can be less than what God desires for you to be. This is why spiritual growth is intentional. But it's also behavioral. The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. This phrase, the law of the Lord, is a reference to the whole of Scripture. But with a definite emphasis. He dwells not on the wisdom of the Lord or on the mysteries of the Lord, or on the power of the Lord, or on the glory of the Lord, but rather on the law of the Lord. You see, law deals with behaviors. Few laws monkey around with motive. When the policeman pulls you over for speeding, he doesn't ask you about your motive. He shows you the clock on his radar gun. You broke the law. You violated the law. He doesn't worry about motive. He doesn't care about your intention. Intentions are too vague. They're too hard to pin down. Laws are limited to restricting or encouraging behavior. And this is how we start to grow spiritually. It's very practical. It's behavioral. You ask God what He wants you to do and how He wants you to think, and you just do it. No questions asked. One by one, step by step, you synchronize how you live with what God says. 
faith that grows is a faith that goes by what God says. When some people think of becoming more spiritual, they assume more mystical or more emotional. Oh, oh, more in touch with my feelings or my thoughts. They imagine spine-tingling experiences and goosebump moments and mountaintop highs. But real spiritual growth is far more down to earth. It begins when you hear God's Word and then apply it to a real-life situation. That's how you grow. Real spiritual growth is applicational. It's behavioral. But Pastor Sandy, that's too hard. I mean, most of the time, I don't feel like obeying and applying the Scriptures. Sometimes I don't even feel like reading the Scriptures. I start to read, and then I don't understand it, and I get bored. And my answer to that is, sure you do. It's hard to feel like doing something that you've never done before. Change doesn't come easy. Say you decide to clean up your diet. I mean, eliminate junk food. You're going to eat healthier. Well, please, don't expect a seamless transition from bacon cheeseburgers to broccoli. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. It's going to take a little time to cultivate new tastes. I'm actually embarrassed to admit it in public, but over the years I've now cultivated a taste for broccoli. As long as it's cooked in lots of butter. But here's my point. It took me some time to get there, man, with that broccoli stuff. It did. In the beginning, spiritual growth boils down to just obeying what God says. It's practical. It's behavioral. Now, I've said this before, but I want to say it again. You need to write it down. It's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. If you only pray or study the Bible or serve at church or worship the Lord when you feel like it, it'll never get done. I'm a pastor and that's true of me. Spiritual growth is intentional, but it's also behavioral. you got to just do it. I may not feel like it. But if I'm determined to step out and do it anyway, the feelings will eventually flow. Over time, you'll cultivate a taste for the stuff that's good and godly. There's a false perception among some Christians that spiritual growth is measured by biblical knowledge. Religious people assume the more Bible I know, then the more I'll grow. But that's not always the case. Certainly, the Bible is essential for spiritual growth. Without God's Word, we lack the spiritual nutrients for growth. But just reading the Bible without applying it to my behavior and living it out in my life is of very little value. In fact, it can even be counterproductive. It can turn you into a hypocrite. There was this bodybuilder that once appeared on a TV talk show. The host asked him, Why did you develop those particular muscles? The man jumped up out of his chair. He began to flex. Muscles just ripped across his chest. The crowd was so impressed. Everyone cheered wildly. But the host asked him again. He said, what do you use those muscles to do? Once more, the bodybuilder, he jumped up out of his chair. He started bulging his biceps and all. Again, the audience roared. 
A third time, the host asked him, but what is it that you do that requires you to need such massive muscles? The bodybuilder never answered the question. His muscles were more for flexing than for using. And sadly, the same can be said for many a believer's knowledge of the Bible. So what that you know a lot if you don't live out what you know? If it doesn't impact your daily existence, how can it be pleasing to God? Recall James chapter 1 verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Hebrews 5 verse 14 describes those who are full of who are of full age, or in other words, who are mature in their faith. He says, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Notice that. How do you, how do you learn to know God's will? It's by reason of use. It's by taking the Bible and putting it into practice and putting it into practice and putting it into practice. And before long, you, you can sense what's God's will and what's not. You've trained your senses According to God's will. Spiritual growth is like physical growth. If all you do is eat and eat and eat, you're only going to get fat and flabby. It's exercise that turns the calories into muscle. And likewise, we grow spiritually when we apply what we learn. Here's Ephesians 5 verse 8 from the Living Bible. Though once your heart was full of darkness, now it is full of the light from the Lord and your behavior should show it. Real spiritual growth is always behavioral. And thirdly, it's devotional. You cannot grow in the Lord without spending time with the Lord and talking to the Lord. The blessed man, the happy man, delights in the law of the Lord. And notice, in his law, he meditates. He meditates. It's devotional. Biblical meditation is a form of prayer where we read God's word and then when we speak it back to him, trusting him to shine a greater light on what we've read. Biblical meditation is like a cow chewing its cud. We take the word. We just sort of roll over it. We chew on it. We roll it over in our minds over and over again as the spirit reveals an application to our lives, as we read it, as we just ponder it, the Holy Spirit will enlighten us to how we can apply it. Biblical meditation is a far cry from Eastern meditation. In Eastern meditation, you put your mind in neutral. You rely on rote chants and mantras, whereas the Christian engages his mind. He or she opens up their heart. We mull over what God has said in His Word and we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our understanding with wisdom and revelation in His knowledge. Rather than bypass our intellect, the Holy Spirit uses the existing hardware to help us grasp God's message and apply it to our lives. Remember in the Gospel how often Jesus took time out from His busy ministry to spend time with His Father? Quite often. Well, if Jesus took that time, how much more do you and I need to schedule talks with God? Max Lucado describes spending time with God as ascending to the top of a mountain. He says, at the summit, the air is cleaner. The view is clearer. 
there is a solitude you find on the peaks that you don't find down in the streets. He writes this, The roar of the marketplace is down here, and the perspective of the peak is up there. Joy begins by breathing deep up there before we go crazy down here. Are you spending enough time up there? That's exactly what the blessed man realizes. When he's alone with God, he finds joy. Once there was a little girl who was deaf. Whenever her dad was out of town, they would talk on the phone. The conversation would go something like this. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Sarah. I love you. But you see, Sarah was deaf and she couldn't hear her father. Instead, she'd just start to chatter. Daddy, listen to what we did at school today. And on and on she would go. Whenever Sarah paused for a breath, her father would say, Honey, I love you. But Sarah couldn't hear her father's replies. Finally, little Sarah would just run out of steam. Well, Daddy, I've got to run, Daddy. See you later. And click, she was gone. Sadly, Sarah never heard her father's simple but vital message. Sarah, I love you. And any form of spiritual growth that doesn't include hearing the Father communicate His love to you is going to be shallow and insufficient. This is why real spiritual growth is devotional. It's slowing down. It's listening. It's listening for God to say to you that He loves you. It involves attention, meditation, and time, and hearing the still small voice of the Holy Spirit say, that God loves you. And He will if you'll listen. Heard of a pastor who went to the hospital to visit a terminally ill patient. He noticed an empty chair next to the man's bed. He asked the patient, he said, Why the empty chair? The fellow said, Well, a friend of mine once told me that prayer was as simple as talking to a good friend. So every day I invite Jesus to sit down and we have a good talk together. Hey, when you first start to learn to pray, five minutes of prayer might be hard. I mean, don't start out with an hour. Your mind will be rumbling and you'll be thinking about all kinds of other things. You'll get defeated. Start with just five minutes maybe. Or you, hey, start with 30-second bursts. How about that? Start by just being consistent, praying at mealtime. But start somewhere. Begin to develop a personal devotion where you take time out to deliberately express yourself to God and then listen for God's Spirit to express His love and will to you. Just a few minutes a day will enable you to slow down and hear God speak to your life the words He has for you. You see, spiritual growth is always devotional. And finally, spiritual growth will be habitual. When Moses told Israel to possess the promised land, in Deuteronomy 7 verse 22, he promised them this, The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you, little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once. Notice that phrase, little by little. You see, total victory didn't occur overnight. Progress came in increments. It was a step here. It was a victory there. It was little by little. It was over time. Israel would take control of the land. And this is how we all grow spiritually. Man, it takes time. 
But Pastor Sandy, I've been a Christian for three days. Hey, you spent 30 years messing up your life. God will straighten it out a lot quicker than you messed it up. But give him a little time. It's a step-by-step process. The progress is measured over months and even years, not just days. Our spiritual journey is a marathon, not a sprint. We're progressing continually. It always tickled me whenever my kids would wake up in the morning. They would run and they would gaze at themselves in the mirror. And then they'd straighten up their shoulders and they would announce proudly, Dad, I think I grew last night. And I'm sure they did. But on a daily basis, that growth is imperceptible. And the same is true spiritually. Only after months and years do you realize the progress that you've actually made. The snail was inching its way down the center of the street when he was run over by a turtle. When the paramedics arrived, they asked, what happened? The snail replied, I don't know, man. It all happened so fast. (laughs) Often we get impatient. Spiritual growth seems oh so slow. But hang in there. You're making progress. Even when you don't see it, you're making progress. This is why the author of Psalm 1 says the blessed man meditates day and night. He builds spiritual habits into his lifestyle and he sticks with them. At breakfast, he starts his day with a bowl of Wheaties and a chapter in the Word. At night, before his head hits the pillow, his knees hit the floor. At the bookends of his life, the day and at the night, And everywhere in between, he's cultivating habits that will help him grow. And you don't measure the impact of those habits after just a day and a night. It's a day and a night and a day and a night and a day and a night. It's stringing together a few months, then a few years. That's when you begin to see the impact. The true benefit of spiritual habits is really appreciated over time. One day you wake up and you realize you are not the same person that you used to be. You are a better, more godly believer. You've really grown. Before James Garfield was elected president of the United States, he was the chancellor of Hiram College in Ohio. And a friend of Garfield's whose son was enrolled in the school asked if there was any way that he could speed up his son's education. Not a bad idea if you're paying college tuition each each quarter. But Garfield, he replied this. He said, sure, sure. But it all depends on what you want to make of your son. When God makes an oak tree, it requires a hundred years. When he produces a squash, it takes only two months. You want your son to be an oak or a squash? A tree grows, but it doesn't go from a seedling to a towering oak overnight. It takes time and consistency. That's why spiritual growth is habitual. It's day and night. It's making a long-term commitment and then sticking with it. Eternal life doesn't need to be rushed. Perhaps you've heard of the 21-day rule. Supposedly, it takes 21 days for a new activity to become a habit. I don't know if it's 21 days or 51 days or 101 days, 
But the point is, it takes more than one week. You've got to stick with it. You don't sow a crop of corn the day, or you don't reap a crop of corn the day after you sow the seed. You have to water and weed and wait. This year, the Atlanta Braves played 35 games before they played their first game that counts. 35 games before they played the first game that counted. It's called spring training. They're professionals, but they drill and they work and they prepare. Practice makes perfected. And the same is true in the spiritual life. The growth of character and integrity God desires to produce in us doesn't come from dabbling. It's the result of putting your hand to the plow and pressing on. Godly growth feeds on momentum, and momentum is the result of doing the right thing again and again and again. Blaise Pascal once said it well, the strength of a man's virtue is measured by his habitual acts. I've heard it put this way, sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. But it starts by sowing individual thoughts. Suffice it to say, spiritual growth is habitual. God wants you and me to be a tree. Our spiritual roots need to be positioned properly, and our shoots should be progressing continually. Have you made it your goal to grow? Once there was a group of tourists who were touring the European countryside. The passengers on this particular bus had taken an interest in the hometowns of famous people. As they drove through one village, one of the tourists, he hung his head out the window, and he asked one of the locals, were there any great men born in your village? The fellow answered, nope, only babies. <laughs> and here's the lesson for us today. Great men, great women of God, heroes of the faith, they're not born. They're made. They're people who made growth their goal. They sunk their roots. And then they did what it took to grow. They realized that growing in Christ was more important than a career, or money, or hobbies, or sports. They realized that spiritual growth is intentional, and it's behavioral, and it's devotional, and then it's habitual. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And why should you be growing? Why should you be adding these virtues to your faith? Well, Peter tells us, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. The blessed man knows that a growing life will become a fruitful life. Thus he makes that commitment to grow. He sinks his roots and he sprouts his shoots and then he shows some fruit. That's how it works when you walk with God. Well, let me repeat the warning. Don't wait until a crisis to find the resolve to stand for Christ. Those moments of testing don't produce chickens and they don't produce champs. 
They only reveal which one you were beforehand. The time to grow, the time to bulk up is before the crisis strikes. The time to grow is today. You get ready for the crisis right now. The bull moose that prevails, that grows the stronger, heftier antlers, is the one that eats the better diet in the springtime, long before the battle begins. So what about you? Don't be bullheaded. If you wait for the crisis to arise to concern yourself with spiritual maturity, you will have waited too late. Make growing in Christ your goal today.